Hello and welcome to this week's Three Shifts edition by Six Pages, the source for far-reaching market shifts and what they mean. It's February 19th, 2021. I'm Eric Thompson, and here are the three shifts that you need to know this week. One, Facebook blocks news in Australia in response to the proposed news media bargaining code. Two, upstream hacks in software and hardware supply chains. And three, traditional financial institutions are embracing crypto. Shift one, Facebook blocks news in Australia in response to the proposed news media bargaining code. Parliamentary debate began this week on Australia's news media and digital platforms mandatory bargaining code. The draft legislation that would require Google and Facebook to negotiate with and pay Australian publishers for linked news content on their platforms. The code is intended to protect journalism in Australia, where the news industry has been in decline. Given bipartisan support, it is expected to be enacted into law before the session ends next week on February 25th. The draft rules require direct negotiations with publishers on lump sum payments. If a deal is not struck, the legislation would impose a panel which sets payout in a baseball-style final offer arbitration. The rules also include quote-unquote minimum standards, such as giving notice of algorithmic changes that might impact referral traffic. Failure to comply could result in hundreds of millions of dollars in fines. Compliance is also expensive, however. Payments to publishers could run up to $775 million for just Google. The draft legislation, released in July 2020, has met with fierce opposition from Google and Facebook, which have both suggested they could pull back services in Australia. Tensions came to a head this past week, with Facebook blocking all news on its platform in Australia and blocking Australian news in other countries. Facebook pages of major Australian news outlets went empty, and Australian publishers saw a 20% drop in traffic to their websites. Government and nonprofit pages and smaller sites were also affected. Facebook has said that news is less than 4% of users' feeds, with the implication that publishers need Facebook more than the other way around. It has drawn a contrast between its platform and Google's, saying, quote, Google search is inextricably intertwined with news and publishers do not voluntarily provide their content, end quote, whereas publishers willingly post content on Facebook for their own gain. In 2020, Facebook claims to have sent 5.1 billion referrals worth about $315 million to Australian publisher sites. Google, which owns 94.5% of Australia's search market, has called the legislation's pay-for-linking approach unworkable. It is shoring up paid publisher deals under its global Google News Showcase program to demonstrate that the legislation is not needed. In October 2020, the program pledged $1 billion to pay publishers for curating content for feature in panels across Google platforms, as well as allowing access to select paywalled content. It has since partnered with over 450 publications across 12 countries. After launching Google News Showcase in Australia earlier this month, Google is making deals with some of the country's largest publishers. Notable partnerships include a three-year, tens-of-millions-of-dollars deal with News Corp, which owns two-thirds of major Australian city newspapers, as well as with Australian news giants Nine Entertainment and Seven West Media for a reported $23 million per year each. Google also struck deals with seven smaller outlets, including The Conversation and The Canberra Times. Facebook has a similar curated news portal called Facebook News, but has held off launching in Australia. 
Microsoft, which is not subject currently to the proposed code, has expressed support for the legislation and even suggested the U.S. should consider similar rules. Its stance is that news generates uncompensated value for tech gatekeepers, including as much as $4.7 billion for Google. Microsoft owns the Bing search engine, a far-behind number two player in Australia with less than 5% share, and already shares Microsoft news revenue with publishers. It is stated it would be willing to operate under the new legislation, even with lower margins. It plans to invest further in Bing and encourage small advertisers to jump to its platform. Australia is expected to be a proving ground for similar legislation around the world. In the EU, which updated its copyright laws in 2019 to provide payment for content snippets, there are two regulations brewing that could incorporate aspects of Australia's legislation. Last year also saw an injunction in France requiring that Google negotiate with French news publishers, resulting in a $76 million three-year agreement with an association of 121 publishers. There's no shortage of somewhat disingenuous positions based on self-interest being taken here. From Facebook's statement that it derives almost no commercial benefit from news, to Microsoft inserting itself into a conflict where it only stands to gain. Even Google's advocacy of a free and open web of links is based on self-interest, since a free and open web lets Google organize the world's information without payment. This conflict has its roots in media's long-standing advertising-based business model which Google and Facebook now dominate, collectively capturing over 80% of online ad spend in Australia. While the legislation is nominally in support of journalism, it is the big publishers like News Corp, which lobbied for the law, who benefit the most. This is especially true in Australia's highly concentrated media industry, which has close ties to government. The backstop of the new regulation effectively changes the negotiating landscape in favor of big publishers. Google has suggested that publishers will be motivated to make unreasonable ambit claims rather than engage in good-faith negotiations, with 75% of negotiations expected to go to arbitration. Facebook's approach of trying to put policymakers up against a wall may do more long-term harm than good, given that politicians have an incentive to look strong in front of constituents. It also may make it harder for Facebook to work with government agencies productively in the future, given the reputational damage it's incurring. The move may, however, deter publishers in other countries from lobbying for similar legislation. Google, in contrast, has opted for a path that makes it look like the good guy right now. In the longer run, it'll be very motivated to foster smaller publishers with less negotiating power and push them up in its rankings. To read more content related to news aggregators and digital advertising, check out our June 24, 2020 brief, Publishers and Retail Brands Adapt to the Coming Death of Third-Party Cookies. In our November 9th, 2019 brief, Facebook News and the Current Wave of News Aggregators. Shift 2. Upstream Hacks in Software and Hardware Supply Chains Since the sprawling SolarWinds cyber attack surfaced in December 2020, software supply chain hacks have garnered heightened attention in the cybersecurity sphere. Software supply chain hacks involve attacks on a target's systems through infiltration of upstream software providers often obscure but essential software with admin and network access to install backdoors. In the case of SolarWinds, a malware-infected update to its widely used Orion network monitoring system cascaded to 18,000 customers, including multiple U.S. government agencies, the U.S. federal court system, Fortune 500 companies, Microsoft, and security firm FireEye. 30% of infected organizations had no direct link to SolarWinds. Last week, 
it was revealed that security researcher Alex Burson was able to hack into the internal systems of over 35 tech firms, including Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Yelp, Uber, PayPal, Shopify, and Tesla, through a software supply chain attack. Burson used a method called dependency confusion, which capitalizes on large firms using private internal versions of popular open-source packages with distinctive names. Burson uploaded malware to public repositories under the same names as the internal packages, discovered on GitHub and elsewhere online. The infected public versions were then automatically downloaded by the tech firms, often because they had a higher version number. The security test earned Burson over $130,000 in bug bounties and spurred corrective action by many of the targets. Software supply chain attacks are becoming pervasive. Earlier this month, a major breach in Washington State's unemployment system was the result of an upstream attack on a file transfer product from software vendor Excelion. The Excelion attack was also responsible for the breach of two large law firms, Jones Day and Goodwin Proctor. Industry watchers have suggested a key vector, and even a potential entry point, for these attacks may be through email systems such as Microsoft 365 or systems with privileged access to email systems. The damage has been aggravated by multiple hacker groups attacking the same known vectors. SolarWinds, for instance, has been targeted by other hacker groups since the December 2020 report. Dependency confusion has also already been used in the wild since Burson's discovery, and by presumably less benevolent actors. These upstream attacks pose a particular challenge to organizations that aren't going to build their own software and don't have effective measures in place to manage counterparty risk. Burson's ability to execute an attack on Microsoft, a sophisticated tech firm, demonstrates how complex and challenging it can be to account for every door in a network. The risk is amplified by the ability for attackers to leapfrog from cloud system to cloud system, opening up back doors along the way. Hardware supply chains have also been targeted for hacks. Bloomberg last week published a follow-up on its late 2018 report that Supermicro, a major U.S. supplier of server motherboards, has been the long-running victim of a sophisticated hardware supply chain hack by Chinese state operatives. The follow-up report, which relied on over 50 sources, doubles down on the assertion that tiny microchips had been inserted into motherboards at the design stage through supermicro suppliers, many in China. The hack appears to rely on some combination of access to the Baseboard Management Controller, BMC, and infected BIOS updates. Both quote-unquote god mode, targets, involved in a server's boot-up sequence. In contrast to the software supply chain attacks described earlier, this hardware hack can target specific servers to send and receive data and instructions. To read more content related to cybersecurity and supply chains in China, check out our February 12th, 2021, Three Shifts edition, Water Facility Hack Exposes Flaws in Remote Desktop Software and Industrial Control Systems. In our April 4th, 2020 brief, global supply chains diversify away from China. Shift 3. Traditional financial institutions are embracing crypto. As Bitcoin passed $50,000 for the first time this week, there are a growing number of commitments by traditional financial institutions to support cryptocurrencies in ways that are similar to other assets. The collective momentum has been the product of investor enthusiasm for crypto as an asset class, adoption of Bitcoin by companies, such as Tesla's rally sparking announcement last week that it had invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin and planned to accept it as payment, and a more favorable regulatory environment. 
The slew of developments over the past couple weeks signal a meaningful shift towards the mainstream adoption of crypto as an asset class and currency. BNY Mellon, one of the oldest banks in the U.S., said last week that it would hold, transfer, and issue cryptocurrencies and other digital assets for its asset management customers starting later this year, becoming the first large custody bank to do so. It announced the formation of a new digital assets unit to build and support the required infrastructure. As a custody bank, BNY Mellon will perform the same validation and valuation functions for crypto assets, which require unique handling and record-keeping, including physical storage, as it does for traditional assets like stocks and bonds. MasterCard announced last week that later this year it would support select cryptocurrencies directly on its network, enabling consumers to pay merchants in crypto without exchanging it to fiat first. MasterCard did not clarify which coins will be supported, but it emphasized security and reliability and has said it will favor stablecoins. It pointed to its principles for blockchain partnerships as guidance for what it would support. MasterCard has existing partnerships with Wirex, BitPay, and LVL on credit and debit cards that allow customers to convert crypto to fiat for transactions. Last week, BitPay announced that its crypto MasterCard, BitPay Card, is now available on Apple Pay, allowing all Apple Pay users to pay merchants in crypto. BitPay plans to add support for Samsung Pay and Google Pay later this year. In the public sector, Canada's Ontario Securities Commission last week approved Purpose Bitcoin ETF, the world's first exchange-traded fund, ETF, to invest directly in Bitcoin, as opposed to derivatives. At the local level, the City of Miami last week approved the mayor's proposal to allow use of Bitcoin for wages to city workers, as well as payments from residents and businesses for taxes and fees. The move is intended to position the city as tech-forward and attract tech firms. Recent moves by traditional financial institutions are tied to landmark guidance recently released by the U.S. Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, OCC. In January 2021, the OCC published a letter stating that banks can use stablecoins, cryptocurrency pegged to a stable asset, in payment settlements. It came on the heels of the OCC's guidance in October 2020 that national banks could provide services to stablecoin issuers, including holding reserve funds backing stablecoins for clients. Before the OCC's guidance, banks weren't clear on whether they could use cryptocurrencies' underlying blockchains as payment networks. We're likely to see a continued parade of financial institutions announcing support for cryptocurrencies. Regardless of Bitcoin's short-term price volatility, it's becoming clear that individuals and institutions want to transact in and store crypto assets in ways that are secured and supported by the banks and institutions they trust. To read more content related to cryptocurrencies, Check out our October 30th, 2020, Three Shifts Edition. PayPal, Coinbase, and JP Morgan Chase pushed cryptocurrency further into the mainstream. In our October 2nd, 2020, Three Shifts Edition, regulators paint a clearer picture for cryptocurrencies. That's it for this week's Three Shifts Edition. If you'd like to read more content and you're not already subscribed, head to sixpages.com to sign up for free summaries of our deeply researched briefs and the Three Shifts Edition straight to your inbox. Keep an eye out for our upcoming brief on private 5G networks and talk to you again on next week's Three Shifts Edition.